Welcome to the Fish Tea Podcast, <laughs> where we talk about LGBTQ politics, pop culture, growing up in the Caribbean, life in the, in the diaspora, and the work it takes to sustain love, life, and laughter in the midst of all the white noise. I'm Glenroy. I'm Kareem. And I'm Lanville. We're giving you everything, honey. Get into this mug. We're serving you a hot cup of fish tea. Bottoms up. <laughs> May I get used to the new song? I'm sorry. <laughs> Listen, four seasons in and we are still butchering this intro. And I think at this point, it's a part of our charm. We're just going to leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, it could be new that time. I remember we used to know it by art. And then kind of, you know, shit. But give it some time. And basically, I'm going to take an episode this with the new song. Give it some time. He's a quick learner also. So, how are you doing? Maybe catch up on in, in the last episode. And as I tweeted, for the little, oh, by the way, happy Valentine's Day. We have a full cast except for me of people with, with, who are couples. So, you know, <laughs> happy Valentine's Day for y'all. It's single, it's single awareness day for me. You know, Kareem, it would have been nice. I don't know, maybe if they didn't give me one look at, some little tips in other two days, but could I use it and add somebody in time? <laughs> in time for Valentine's Day. <laughs> right? But I love the last episode. It was really fun. It was refreshing. You know, some of the things that we kind of talked about came up, but it was great to hear it from, like, the perspective of people who are trans and gender non-conforming. It was nice. It was. It was really good. It was a good... Um, I mean, it felt awkward as, like, the one, the one person in the space that was, like, married and doesn't have to worry about navigating online dating, all those things anymore. I was just like, whoa, child. Oh, if I had to do it now, then I probably would be single still because it's a lot. But anyways, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Like, you know, trying to take over the world as usual, the gay agenda, all of that. Trying to ambition is a lot of work. And so like these little few businesses and projects that I'm trying to work on, it takes a lot of work. It's a lot of research that goes into it. And I already need a personal assistant and that's it. It's just <laughs> How about you? How you doing? How are you? Oh, I mean, I feel like this is, I mean, I've been saying I need a personal assistance from about 2018. Um, but I'm like, I can't afford one. Um, so that's my because I can't take on my personal assistant and not pay them at a certain level. Right. Because uh, I feel like you have to pay people their words. So if they can't afford a service, you just can't afford a service. So I'm struggling through rain has graciously offered to help me just re- give me reminders that I've merged my two calendars together now so things are not so I miss less meetings and I'm learning the art of delegation more at work um but yeah um it's been you know I'm not gonna lie the last just it's been good days bad days just rough long days where I'm just drained at the end of the day and but you know Supportive friends always keep it true. And mommy sent me this lovely message of unconditional love today while I was at the gym. And that just really lifted my spirits. So, yeah, we'll feel good at going on a podcast song. So, thanks. You can always count on moms because my mom, like, she doesn't skip a beat Valentine's Day. And I'm always getting a card or whatever it is that she can afford in the moment. So, mom, big up yourself. Landell. Hi. Um, it has been good. Um, 
like from work I, I, this week we got so we got a new grant um this week um and that that that's good for me um because one of my projects is now funded um in my portfolio i wanted i want to look at the holistic health of um, lgbt jamaicans we focus a lot on um, hiv and sdis um so i think this for me really and truly is a good thing um because lgbt people don't really it's not only hiv and viral loads and viral suppression and we we have a we exist outside of um hiv so that's good so the the, the, the consultancy will look at um the, the burden of non-communicable disease um, among LGBT Jamaicans. So that's good. Um, also, coming up on Wednesday, I will be presenting my dissertation at a virtual public health conference. Um, that's exciting for me. My dissertation was very rough. Um, did my dissertation on PrEP. Um, uh, I got a distinction for my dissertation and I'm now able to present my dissertation. Um, I said it in the last, well, not, the first um, episode that my my my, like my dissertation supervisor um I said my dissertation is publishable, so I'm also working on that. Um, and things are generally. Dissertation, the grant, the assessment, yeah, you, yeah, you also, but that's one point out. So when I'm the fo focusing not just on HIV is really good because then we don't just focus on gay men's issues because, you know, we can also focus on the other subsets of the community. So my apophysita, so yeah, you are organizing. <laughs> so yeah, I think life has generally been um, good. Yeah, and I think you know, I had it was it you had something about if God if God never liked um <laughs> <laughs> if God never liked the homosexuality we wouldn't stop less. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what what Mary had a little lamb. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's what people got. Oh gosh, so so we we've had our Valentine's Day episode, and on this side of the world. Um, February is celebrated as a, you know, a couple of months. It's LGBTQ History Month. It's also Black History Month. And so we, as Black queer people, we sit at the intersections of both. And so we're using this week's episode to have a conversation with a pioneer in, in, in LGBTQ advocacy and representation for um, queer people of color. So joining us, I really should have asked for the pronunciation before, but it is Phil Opoku Gaima. Gaima. You got that wrong, a little bit wrong, but you know what, it's okay, because we're family, it's yes. Opoku Jima. Jima, I was, oh, oh, I didn't <laughs> get it right so bad. But yes, Lady Phil, um, the executive director of UK Black Pride, you know, the, the conceptualizer, the convener, all of that. And I must say, when I went to, when I was living in London, being able to go to UK Black Pride was everything. Like it was a lovely black queer black black party, me and my straight friends and gay friends, all of us come together with our blast, right? It was just, but, oh, one of my favorite London experiences. So, so, so glad to have you here. 
Oh, thank you so much for having me. And I was just listening to your conversation beforehand and it was giving me life. You know how beautiful it is to have three queer black people who are talking about education, politics, life, how you navigate and weave in even the things that are, are not going quite so well and how you can support and connect to one another. And that's what's called our tribe and our chosen family, right? Thank you. Oh gosh, I just love talking to ladies and she's always just like fun, positive, good energy and everything. So, um, Manhattan, no, like, no, Lady Phil is Lanvel who was fangirling over you. Um, Lanvel is who requested your, <laughs> your um, attendance here. So I'm going to shoot the first question over to Lanvel. But before you do, I have a question for all three of you. And normally I start in every conversation. I have a very good friend and I ask them a question just to check in. So I want like one or two words that describes what I'm going to ask you. How is your heart feeling right now? Mm. <laughs> I can go. So my heart right now is a little bit anxious yet hopeful. And it's anxious because my husband has um, a major surgery on Wednesday, but it's hopeful that this will definitely improve our quality of life in a lot of ways like he has scoliosis and so he has to kind of correct the curvature because it's getting worse and so it's, it's anxious because you know it's very serious and it's big and it's close to the spine and all these things but it's hopeful because you know we're trusting and sending out all the positive vibes and jujus that everything will be fine on the other mm -hmm. side of it thank you for sharing and he's in my thoughts and my higher vibrations Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I guess for me, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's been a mixed bag for some time. You know, I've, I'm like, when I get great news, I live, but then sometimes the heart does feel a little bit lonely, but outside of that, like, I'm always so grateful for all the spaces I've been able to curate. So it's, it's a mixture of, you know, lonely moments, grateful moments, happy moments, slow moments, all of that. Mm -hmm. I feel you. I hear you. I think I want to borrow um, Glenn's words. I think for me, it's happy and grateful. Um, I think in the current moment, no. Um, a lot of things that I would have wanted um, professionally and personally seem to be coming together. And I kind of have to acknowledge those and kind of live in the moment that these things that you've worked for, these things that you've prayed for, they're happening. So kind of enjoy them. Mm. Wow. Well, that's, the, that's always the check-in that I love because often, you know, when you pick up the phone, you say to someone, oh, how are you doing? They're like, oh, I'm okay. But they never really know how your heart is feeling. And sometimes your heart can be going through so many different emotions and turmoil and happiness. One minute you're crying, next minute you're laughing. So it's always good just to check in with those you call your brethren, your family, your brother, sister, sibling, and ask, how is your heart doing? So thank you for sharing. Sure. I'm full right now because, as I said, you guys are giving me life. <laughs> thank you for asking. This is why I love being around you. You always move. Anyways, <laughs> over to you. Um, okay, so I remember I met you 
in February of 2020 at National Student Pride. You're on the panel. Um, and I remember when we came outside um, to take the pic and I was like, oh, you know, I know you from Javian and we're speaking a little about Javian and stuff like that. We took a pic together. But there is something that you said on the panel uh, that kind of, I wanted you to, I don't think you, you had you'd gone into details on it. You had said, if it's not intersection, if it's not intersectional, I'm not interested. Um, and I wanted to, that, is, is that how, when, when, when did this become something um, that you put as a, as a part of your work? And is it, in, it, it, does it go across the board for everything that you're involved in? And why is it important for you that this um, has to be a part of the work that you, you choose to um, be a part of or you do? Mm, a brilliant question. And that's so broad. So if I just give you a little bit of background about UK Black Pride and why it started. So UK Black Pride was born out of a frustration it was born out of a necessity and need for us as black and POC people, people of color, to see ourselves through wider LGBT plus mainstream activities. In the UK, there's um, an enormous amount of racism that one experiences. And when you couple that together with the homophobia, the biphobia, the transphobia, and also if you're a person of faith, the Islamophobia and, you know, many other different forms of discrimination, it sends you into a very dark and lonely soul-destroying place. So for me, in looking at how we operate, how we work, how we connect, it had to be intersectional. Now, although Kimberly, Professor Kimberly Crenshaw, coined the word in, you know, she coined this word, and this was about a legal framework of how black women experienced um, the discrimination that they felt in the workplace. It has since broadened out to the many different facets that make up who we are. So when I say to people, if it's not intersectional, I'm not interested. If your feminism is not intersectional, then I can't work with you because it means that you will be trans exclusionary. If your if your allyship of, oh, we're going to put on an event and it's four white men speaking on the panel, that's not intersectional. I'm not interested in being involved or engaged in it. Even if you put on an event like UK Black Pride, and we don't always get it right, but we're growing and we're learning. If that doesn't look at the various intersections of our community under race, gender, sexuality, sexual orientation, under class, under, you know, uh, youth, so many different things, then actually we're getting it wrong because we are doing the same things the oppressor did and excluding and marginalizing people. So for me, it's everything we do. And I try to live by this and I'm always growing and learning and I don't get everything right. But I try to make sure that the focus takes an intersectional approach and lens because that's the framework. And hopefully I can see now with the growth of UK Black Pride, it's done that. And also in my day job, you know, I call UK Black Pride my gay job because nobody pays me for it. But my day job is the one of I'm the executive director of Kaleidoscope Trust. 
and Kaleidoscope Trust works to uphold human rights for LGBT plus people across the Commonwealth. Now, we know that JFLAG, TransWave, WeChange, they are all part of the Commonwealth Equality Network. And most of the work that we do around that is about capacity building, strengthening a a movement building, which takes an intersectional approach. So WeChange will look at sexual health and reproductive rights and abortion rights. TransWave will look at how trans people are excluded, but how do they access health and so forth. And JFLAG, you guys have been going for so long and have been doing so much to bring communities together, but also find out how you can lobby parliamentarians and how you can get deep into it. And all of that means it's an intersectional approach from many different levels. So I hope that answers your question. And I know I went big and broad, but intersectionality is really a framework that it, that theorizes it into a way that you turn it into a framework of how you live your life with an approach and a lens that is very, very clear to all to see. Oh, thank you so much for, you know, going into that. One, it does answer my question about, you know, the genesis of UK Black Pride. Um, uh, to jump, may I jump on Lanka question? You did have a follow-up, I don't know, I love interrupts, sorry. But yeah, because for me, I remember when I was, so when I was doing undergrad, my undergrad studies in law, one of the courses I did was gender and the law. So that's where I met Kimberly Crenshaw's work for the first time. And it was refreshing to kind of read intersectional theory. And that was my jumping off point into the kind of advocacy that I'm doing now to kind of always be aware of our multiple and layered identities and the ways in which you are at one point a member of a privileged class, but at another point a member of a subordinated class. And that you have to leverage the privileges that you have from that privileged part of you to address the issues that you have from that part of you that is not so privileged and the rest of the community, but also use it as a way to kind of keep the door open for others. So I'm always challenging myself personally. I think for me, intersectional work starts with me thinking, saying, okay, I can do this because I'm Glenroy, who is X, Y, Z, 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 Z. And so maybe this person who is not inhabiting these sets of identities can't do this. And so let's see where the, what work I can do for where I am so that I can help other people in that way, intersectionality, and I, whenever I send my bio and I have enough words, I always say, you know, I operate from a space of intersectionality. And, and as I, even though I'm, I'm widely known as an LGBTQ rights activist, a lot of my early work was around just general women's rights advocacy because of the, those areas, they matter to me. And, and, and for me, as a queer person, I think you have to be interested. And I don't understand gay men who are sexist, but so many of them are. But I think as a, as a gay man, you have to be interested in women's rights advocacy. You have to be interested in gender oppression um, and racial oppression because of all the ways all of that wraps up. So thank you for that. Absolutely. And, you know, I want to say, you know, Lanville, to your question on Glenroy, you know, I when I talk about intersectionality with um, our global South comrades and colleagues, I make sure I talk from a place of people understanding that I'm not trying to westernize 
anyone's approach. And I also try and decolonize what I say before it comes out. Because I know being born in the UK setting will be very different to my siblings who have been born in Jamaica or here right now, you know, uh, the place I'm in, in St. Lucia or anywhere else in the Caribbean. So it's really important that when I think about intersectional approaches and frames, that it will be different in very many different contexts and settings. So I recognize my privilege. I recognize the position in where I'm placed. And I never want that to take that for granted or try and impose my thinking and feeling onto others. I have a question. It's within this, um, uh, on the topic of intersectionality. So this week I had the privilege of speaking with um, some undergrad individuals. My friend works at a community college close um, by. She asked me to come to speak because she's doing this whole thing on um, Black History Month. And she wants to feature like the idea of um, being minority and queer in the United States. And one of the questions that was kind of posed to us as a panelist of all um, queer people of color. One of the questions that was posed was, as particular to those who are black identified was, when, it, when you think about the Black Lives Matter movement and the queer movement, um, essentially they were asking us to kind of rank which one we identify with most or which one we would want to, which one we would champion more, right? And I was the only one who said, that is impossible for me to kind of choose that I'm gonna go rally for a black lives as opposed to the queer movement. That's because I said, I can't separate the two, but there were those who were saying that, um, in, although in my head, they were like very visibly queer, right? Um, that they were saying that when they walk into a room, they feel like their blackness precedes them. Like their blackness is the first thing that they see. And so they're more likely to go, um, they'll be more likely to be at a Black Lives Matter rally as opposed to the queer movement. And then additionally, they also said that because they don't see themselves um, represented in the queer movement as it is. And I was wondering like, what kind of challenges does that kind of mindset pose for um, the movement in general, especially when you think about the movement at the intersection, right? Because I'm thinking about myself and I'm saying, well, I'm black, I'm queer, I'm immigrant. Like I'm easily, I can't separate any of those because things just impact me differently, right? It's very layered for me, but they're saying that they're more likely to, they're more inclined, and these are queer identified individuals who are more inclined to go with the Black Lives Movement as opposed to the queer um, liberation movement. So I'm kind of wondering like, just you know, thoughts on that. I, I think that, when you broke that down, because at first I was thinking, one can't divorce themselves. I can't divorce myself from the, the discrimination faced as a woman, the racism and the, you know, the sexism, the misogyny, the misogynoir that exists. But at the same time, I think that there's a historical, putting it in some historical context, that those who are from, who are black and born in the US, and black and born in the UK, the mindset may be slightly different because of the racism we endure. We don't live in what people see as the majority black country. Now, I can be in Jamaica and I'm gonna see more black people than I would white people. 
you know, although we make up the global majority and they call us the minority, however, in the UK, we are seen as the minority. So when I walk into a room, I will probably face racism more than I would the, the homophobia or biphobia or transphobia. So my blackness, I'm rooted in my blackness, which seems first and foremost, but I don't divorce my queerness. However, I think it's about place, time, situation, and history of where we're from. Um, here in the Caribbean, I guess the, the way that colonial era laws play out means that they're not gonna come for you because you're black. Although there is colorism and there's still racism, they will come for you because there's laws and legislation that actually criminalizes who you are as people. And when you look at the laws and legislation in the UK and the US, the ones around race, 1957 in the US, Little Rock, was the first time any little black child crossed over the line for education. Then, even if you look at the 60s and 70s, the wind rush of Caribbeans and Asians coming over to the UK, the racism that was there, and we still had what was called the NF, the National Front Party. So that type of, we're rooted in making sure our blackness is pronounced because we don't get jobs because of our blackness, because of our surnames. And I'm not, I'm, I'm general, really, really generalizing here, but there is a real history. But going back to your point, Kareem, I think that you need to keep um, shaping that narrative of, you know, we can't divorce ourselves from what we are, but we understand there will be different emerging priorities at different times for different groups of people. And whilst we've seen the resurgence of Black Lives Matter because of what was so visible to the white lens and the white gaze, our white comrades saw a black man murdered brutally on the streets for eight minutes and 46 seconds. That was traumatic for them. But we've been dealing with this trauma day in, day out. This is not new to us. But because we've got others now who are saying, my gosh, we've got to get involved, we've got to get involved, that's been a priority. But then when we look at, and I skip over to Uganda, when we look at what's happening to our siblings, our LGBTQ siblings in Uganda, that is the priority because they are being targeted and hunted down or arrested, 23 of them at a party with no access to legal, legal access or no access to their medication or proper food. That's the priority. So I guess at different times it alternates, but we never stop being queer, black, POC people with different statuses, whether we're refugees, immigrants, migrants, but we just have to make it clear that in a holistic fashion, it's everything, but we need to focus at different times. Yeah, I mean, thank you so much for articulating that in the way you did, you know, I was sharing you on, because for me, it's, it's always a question of strategy, right? It's always, a, um, what's more strategic at the time. So it's not a zero sum game. You don't have you, I think the question of prioritization, um, I don't know if it's helpful in abstract. I think it's, 
Am I, where, where am I needed most now? So uh, as at, it's um, February 14th, 2021. Right now it's 12.43. I have two rallies to go. Where am I needed at most? Which issue needs my presence the most? Um, but how do I show up? So am I going to show up at a Black Lives Matter protest, for example? I'm going to show up visibly queer. And if I'm going to the queer protest, I'm going to show up unapologetically Black. So I think there's also a way in which no matter where you are, you can um, show up in the fullness of who you are in that space so much so that it doesn't become a matter of, well, you have to split yourself. Because I also feel like there's a thing among white liberalism that requires you to kind of strip down yourself to one identity or the other, and then you have to fall in line with one. So yeah, I'm really glad you said that because I'm like, well, it really does depend. What what do you need to single out now? What needs your attention now? And, 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 uh, and just adding though, safety as well, right. because I think that that's paramount for me. If I'm going to go to a Black Lives Matter protest like I did earlier on in the year, uh, well, last year in the UK, I'm also going to be mindful about who's with me if we're talking about really also showing up as queer Black people because sometimes those spaces with our other Black comrades and colleagues does not feel safe for us. So it has to be in safety. And also, you know, being a woman, you know, what does that look like for you? Absolutely. But I, yeah, definitely. And, and I think sometimes um, showing up in those spaces where you can, in the fullness of yourself, kind of happens to bridge, helps to bridge a divide. So seeing a, a, a visibly queer person who is, you know, a black a, person of color in a Black Lives Matter space can bridge a divide between communities that oftentimes don't necessarily see themselves aligned and force conversations because in all of these different communities, there's a need to have very some critical conversations about how within marginalized communities, we perpetuate different types of marginalization. So, yeah, I don't think- I go back to Lanville's point about, he asked me the question about, is it intersectional? So I will, and have been uh, constructively critical of some of our leaders in our Black Lives Matter movement from a UK perspective. And I'm saying, you've got a rally and you've got speakers are we not talking all black lives here? Well, if it's all black lives, where are the trans voices when we know that trans black people are being killed at the rates of knots? Where are the women and the young voices who are black, who are facing homelessness and many issues of poverty? We've got to have those voices heard because if it's just black voices um, that fit a particular mold, then it's not intersectional. So then I will constructively critic, criticize it in a way that I'll also give a solution or a suggestion. There you go. So I have a question on um, UK Black Pride in as a movement, right? 
Um, I feel like the very presence of it is somewhat of a criticism to, again, the general movement, right? That we need a space that affirms and celebrates um, queer Black individuals. I'm wondering, because I know that with a lot of criticism, there's always some type of pushback and challenges to navigate. In the formative years of UK Black Pride, and even now, it could still be happening, I would love to hear just like some of the the feedback or pushback that you might have received um, and how you kind of navigated those. Yeah, so Kareem, we, when UK Black Pride started, before it was UK Black Pride in 2004, it was called BLUK, B-L-U-K, Black Lesbians in the UK. And we were very much an online activity. We were like, you know, talking about women, women's sex toys, um, what sports do women like? We're talking about studs, femmes, identifying ourselves in different ways. So we took it offline. And to take it offline and take it to a place in South End, you know, some of you may know South End, outside of London, very white, in 2005 had a lot of racism itself there. It was a way to come together and connect. It was a way to look at our shared commonalities and what makes us stronger together. You know, have a voice that's so well amplified that you just can't turn down the volume on it. And it felt powerful. You know, we had people who had never been outside of London, but have come straight from Caribbean, Africa, Asia, uh, or wherever it may have been, straight into London, and they've lived by themselves in a lonely place, but they were able to connect. When I went to, when I went to a group of leaders in the LGBT plus community, and I said, you know what, I really, really need some help. Um, You've been doing this for years. You fought off things like Section 28. You've been pillars in the community. They were all white around this table. And I said, we need some help to start up UK Black Pride, how to fundraise, how to get sponsorship. I kid you not, I was told by these group of people, you know, a couple of them laughed at me, I was told, and excuse my language, I'm sure you can beep it out or not. I was told, You're good. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was told, fuck off and go back to where you come from. Remember, this is people that are supposed to understand marginalization, discrimination to a greater or lesser degree. But it shows you that just because you're part of the queer community, it doesn't make you exempt from being a bigot or an asshole, right? So they told me to F off back to where I came from, although I was born in London. If they want to give me a plane ticket, happy to move on, really, really happy to move on and some money for reparations. But they did not actually what believe in the need for a black pride. So the resistance to black pride was there from the onset. There were people that would not work with us. There were nightclubs that would not host any after party. There were spaces that we couldn't get insurance for because just by virtue of the word black, it comes with a negative connotation to some people. It comes with some 
some negativity like it's going to be bad like black sheep black day everything that's black is bad so we had to reframe reshape and talk about black queer joy in a way that was celebratory and of course at the same time making people realize that the spaces we wish to occupy and occupy it unapologetically was important for us so fast forward right through to 2018 2019 we get the same resistance i've had the most amount of death threats i've had pictures sent to me of black men swinging from trees um with rope around their neck i've had you know letters take, cut out of newspaper saying i've got to die you fat b-i-t-c-h because people feel challenged and threatened when you challenge the narrative or the status quo and you occupy or you create just like you know let's have some fish tea here you're curating spaces and conversation and dialogue and not everyone is going to like this dialogue because it's going to make them feel uncomfortable so that uncomfortable feeling for me was about telling people, I don't need you to feel guilty about slavery, enslavement and so forth. I need you to understand how we as black people, black queer people, people of color who are also brown are impacted by discrimination. And I guess now people have started to work with us corporates brands want to be with us and i want them to be with us not because it looks sexy at this precise moment but because they're taking steps which is not performative yeah and not tokenistic so i guess for me we've grown and we've grown a lot but it's still hard work but we've grown with the community and i always say uk black pride is run by us and it is for us thank you for sharing that um i mean i expected some pushback but i didn't necessarily expect you know all of that and i don't know i guess because like like you said like these individuals that the pushback oftentimes comes from you'd expect that they have an understanding of marginalization and discrimination and so they would be i guess more um compassionate um sympathetic something um, but, you know, like they say, not all what kinfolk are kinfolk. And you know what, guys, when I answer your question, you, you, you know, you can always just interrupt me because I can talk for the whole of the Caribbean, Africa, Asia, everywhere and the UK. I can talk a lot. <laughs> no, listen, like we, we've been, it wasn't just Lando who was fangirling over like Lady Phil. I remember when we launched Fish Tea and Glenroy is like, Oh, Lady Phil just reposted her story. And I was like, who's Lady Phil? And I went and I saw who Lady Phil was. I was like, oh, Lady Phil reposted our story. So please, by all means. <laughs> Glenn Roy. No, no, Lando, can go ahead. I think you wanted to ask something because I might be shifting gears a little. Okay, no, I wanted to, because, and, and remember something else that you spoke about, you mentioned it just now, the whole um, issue of um, tokenism. Um, you'd also spoken about it at um, National Student Pride. I think Tanya also um, mentioned it about being invited um, into spaces, not because they necessarily want you there, but just because you need 
say, for example, a black person within this space? And how do you how do you navigate those spaces? But um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So yes, Tanya did. God, you remember a lot. You were really taking notes. That's why you got a distinction in your dissertation, right? Okay, so I guess um, I guess tokenism and allyship. If I can put these these things together, when people often talk about, oh, you know, we want to be the best ally, the greatest ally to you, and you know, we want to make sure this happens, and we've got an event happening, and we want you to come along. Well, actually, who's on your panel? What does that look like? What's your subject matter? Oh, well, we've got three of our senior leaders in the organization, which then happens to be, you know, three white men who are all over the age of 55. uh, And then they brought me in uh, just as a caveat to cover up certain things and make it feel like they've got the voice of black people. I can't speak for all black people because each one of our experiences, our lived experience may be very different. Although the feeling of how we experience racism has some similarities there. So I will ask the question, I'm not gonna be tokenized. You are not gonna just invite me because it's LGBT history month and I happen to be queer and black. And then that's the only voice Uh, you want there or I'm not going to come to your Black History Month event because you think you're covering both spectrums because I'm black and I'm queer and I'm not going to come to your International Women's Day event on the 8th of March because I'm a woman and I'm black and I'm queer only if you're not doing this work 365 days of the year because I don't stop being black when March is, uh, um, when October's over. I don't stop being queer once LGBT History Month has passed. And I certainly don't stop being a woman after International Women's Day has passed. So I guess for me, I want to be able to say no to some people and uh, tell them, I'm not going to come and sit on your panel because I don't believe you're doing the work. And it's not just my job alone to do the labor of educating your organization, of using all of my resource and opening up trauma to make sure that you feel better about yourself for inviting me onto a panel that really was just quite tokenistic. But don't get me wrong, let's flip it around. We do have some allies who really are meaning what they say and saying what they mean. And I've always said, if your allyship is not rooted in solidarity, then it's not allyship. And that solidarity comes in, in many different ways, right? It's, it's, It's about standing shoulder to shoulder, side by side, or sitting side by side with me when actually we are going through an enormous amount of pain or hurt. It's about making sure you can stop, hold your mouth and listen to what I'm saying without questioning me about the pain that I feel. So listening is important. It's also about making sure you can put your money where your mouth is. Don't think that you're going to be some big brand and come and ask me to open up trauma and wounds about things that I face and you don't want to pay my community for their, for their time. Yeah, invest or put into grassroots organizations that are doing the work that are on the front lines and have been on the front right lines for a long time. 
and show solidarity by making sure you hold your organizations accountable when things have gone wrong. If you have a decision-making power in the organization, step back when it doesn't feel like it's going quite so right and try again and make sure that you speak to those who can help facilitate an easing or an understanding of how on what type of organization you want so i guess for me you know tokenism is about really putting in the work you know when kareem started and was talking about ambition is hard work every organization every person must have ambition but they must be willing to do the work. And if you're not willing to do the work, then in five years time, we're still gonna be here talking about what it means to be black and queer because we haven't moved on. So uh, right. yeah. I'm so tired of telling those stories, child. Like <laughs> at this point, people ask me, I was like, look, we have all the data we need. I'm not participating in another survey asking you to, you have all the data, you know what it is like, stop playing, let's get some, let's get to work. Glad yeah. boy. Oh, I mean, I'm just soaking it in, you know. So, but you know, to kind of sometimes though, and this is not really though, but sometimes I think about you being the bad token, meaning um, they take you on because they really think that you're just gonna come and you're gonna smile and you're gonna say the things that they want you to say. Um, and they just want that person from your experience in the room. I remember when I was in the UK and I was doing certain speaking engagements, I would never ever take a speaking engagement and not mention the word slavery, not mention the words colonialism, not mention all of the things that like, let's talk about this, you know, um, and complicate their narratives. Because I remember when I was at Amplified and I was just saying, Let's disrupt the, the black savages narrative that, that is proliferated, that a lot of people who want to give and support the work in other parts of the world think that they need to hear to be able to support us. Um, no, you do not need to hear that um, black men are killing off um, queer people in Jamaica to support us. No, you need to just acknowledge the fact that because of a history of colonialism and slavery, we've been embedded with a system of homophobia and racism that I now have been saddled with the responsibility of, I mean, my own, I've saddled myself, but also I'm queer, so I can't avoid it, and visibly so, of helping to, to deal with. So support that, so I, you know, Sometimes I agree we must say no to some of these things, but then there are those times when um, I do it just to unsettle them. I do it just to make them feel uncomfortable because I feel like if I don't, then no one else will. Um, and I don't know if maybe that's something that you've kind of had to con you've ha considered sometimes when you're kind of saying, should I really go here? Should I really speak here? Um, is that something you've had to deal with? So I think in the early days, um, and yeah, you know, everything you said, I'm there clicking my fingers away because we do need to challenge that narrative and disrupt the status quo. And I heard you at Amplifund and I loved it because when we're often asked to speak, we're given a brief and we're told, okay, this is a subject and you know, we want you to speak about this and speak about that. And often when 
I've got a speaking engagement. People say, oh, can we just have a pre-meet before just to go over what you're saying? Or can you send me your slides? Because they are so nervous and worried about what I'm going to say that they just want to try and stage manage it all. I'm happy for, to let you think you're going to stage manage this. But when you said to keep on talking, I like to usualize the subject of I haven't entered into the work arena of trying to uphold human rights um, for LGBT plus people without talking about why we have colonial era laws, talking about colonialism, talking about enslavement, talking about slavery and talking about shackle mentality and all sorts of other things that impact us. And I always then say, if this is making you feel guilty, it's not about guilt because guilt serves no purpose and it's ever so self-indulgent. So let's just keep, keep it moving and keep it moving fast. This is about, yes, sitting in your uncomfortableness. You know, I have to be uncomfortable sometimes about, you know, maybe something I've not done, which doesn't feel very inclusionary for trans people. And sometimes you just don't know. So it's about learning and it's about growing with that. So, yes, I have taken on particular events which have felt tokenistic, but I don't necessarily take them on now. And if I am somewhere and I feel that, oh, my blackness, my queerness, my womanness is being tokenized, then my mouth is quite um, clear that it can utter certain things that they're not going to like. And then they're all going to be feeling uncomfortable and you're going to see a sea of red faces in the audience. Yeah, oh, not red faces! <laughs> <laughs> Lady Fields, sign me up for the master class on how to gather the girls, please. <laughs> well, I'm learning from you all, so, you know. <laughs> Okay, um, so I'm going to switch gears a little. So, you know, one of the infamous stories about you, Lady Phil, is how, you know, you were invited to meet with the Queen and you, you said no. So talk to us about that. Tell the girls, tell the girls on the side of the world, what was the event, what happened and why? Okay, so I'm going to tell the girls. I like this. Now I feel like we're all here together. We should be breaking bread and having a little sip and You know? What is this, like water? Okay, so um, in the UK, they have this system called the honours system. And the Queen acknowledges people who have given a great service to the country based on, you know, whether it's community, whether it's health, whether it's tourism, whatever it may be. Um, and there's a nomination process for that. And someone nominates you, you can't nominate yourself. And there's a CBE, an MBE and an OBE and the one for the British cross. So CBE is like crown of British Empire, or Commander, sorry, Commander of British Empire, MBE is um, sort of member of the British Empire, OBE, I can't remember what it is. And I'm just going to be clear that I'm not very, I, I don't really support an honours system. Um, and I also think it's not transparent enough. And when anything has the word empire in it, you have to question what is it that you're going to accept, especially as a black queer person? So I was nominated and I got a wonderful letter from the Queen saying, 
we want you to accept this nomination and to come and meet the Queen to be, um, you know, awarded your MBE. And then you have these three letters around your name. I wrote back to the Queen and it was probably my seventh letter because the first one, the second one didn't cut it. Um, and I said, thank you, but no thank you. I declined it gracefully. And the reasons were that I cannot accept anything. I say this and I repeat it, anything that elevates itself over the people I serve. And whilst you still have countries in the Commonwealth where the Queen presides over that still criminalize, torture, penalize, sentences to death, LGBT people, and that's mainly countries where you have people of color, I cannot accept that. I can't accept that. And the empire comes with an enormous amount of hurt, pain, the sacrifices that were made, the lack of apology for colonialism towards our people and no real form of acknowledgement in the way of reparations, especially now as we're seeing that, you know, Windrush, our Caribbean family that came over to the UK have been treated so poorly. So yeah, I, you know, I couldn't accept, but I think the real reason is, is that one queen ain't going to bow to another queen. So I want to see the queen get down before me if she wants to invite me to the house. <laughs> and there you have it. <laughs> I live, I am taking notes, like, listen, because I definitely like I'm I, as you're speaking, some of these things are like I'm, I mean I've never been invited to see the Queen or anything like that. But still, like these some of these honors that like come across or the idea of being the token. Like as you're speaking, I'm definitely taking notes because whew, um, sometimes it's like, it feels like there's this pressure to um, to do the jig or the dance because you know you're thinking it might be better for the movement or so on and so forth. And so like being able to really be brave and authentic and stand in your truth like that is really inspiring. So thank you for sharing that. Um, there wasn't like, a, did she respond to your letter? This is like, or was it just like a general? Um, yeah, so they responded and I say that they, because I think it was the queen's um, advisors and they tell you that as you have declined, you're not able to speak about it. Um, yeah, you're not able to speak about it. Now, we haven't come this far. You know, in 2016, when you tell me that I'm not able to speak about something, but yet still you want to offer me something that I'll be able to speak about and amplify, I decided to speak about it. And I wrote for the Diva magazine, Independent contacted me. And I guess I joined a long list of many other people like David Bowie that rejected it. Benjamin Zephaniah, a famous black poet who is absolutely amazing. Uh, Dawn French. There's a number of people that have rejected it because just the very notion of what it stands for doesn't feel open and transparent and clear. Um, yeah, but you know, the one thing I should say is that I have, I have friends who have accepted. So when you look at uh, Baroness Doreen Lawrence, 
who fought tirelessly for justice for her son, Stephen Lawrence, who was brutally murdered in the UK. I still look at how she's using that title from the outside in to change some systems. But for me to accept, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be that because I don't need to change your system from the inside in, uh, from the inside out, because I think that there's some dismantling of those systems that do not work for us. Um, but yeah, and I acknowledge that it's a great achievement to be acknowledged by the Queen. You know, I'm not taking that away, but then I'm waiting to think about how I acknowledge her achievements so it can be from one queen to another, we can say things on each other's um, achievements. You grade me, I grade you. Let's peer review. Right. That's a big Glenroy energy right there. You <laughs> a little see me up the shoulder as you. <laughs> my ancestors did not allow me to write all the achievements. So they were like, my ancestors were like uh, at the bottom of the sea coming up saying, Mm-mm, we don't have anything to say right now, you know. <laughs> that's, that's amazing because, you know, um, it's a different way to kind of think about, as Kareem said, how do we treat with? Because, like, it's always sometimes you think about certain national awards and think about it as having value because of the representation. But then it's, but what exactly am I representing? You know, so it's it, it's an interesting it's an interesting <laughs> interplay of representation versus you know, standing for something that goes beyond um, simply merely representation. So those are my two like major questions. That was big. (laughs) But you know, I guess there's something about, you know, my Caribbean family and my African family. I think had I have accepted being, uh, accepted the honor and had these three letters behind my name, and then also applied to work at Kaleidoscope Trust, which was about LGBT human rights, I think it would have gone down quite badly because you can't put the two hand in hand. You're accepting being a member of the British Empire and all that it stands for. And at the same time, you're trying to fight these old Victorian colonial era laws that exist. How do you do that simultaneously whilst, you know, accepting empire and also trying to eradicate the hurt and the pain and the discriminations and the laws that we face that don't allow us to live our lives as others can? So, yeah, I'm always I'm always interrogating myself and I keep on going back to that point. You know, Lanvel, you you talked about if it's not intersectional. And I think something that we should all be doing Um, And I say this from not a place of privilege or anything like that, but we should all be trying to interrogate ourselves about decisions we make. Does that feel right? Is it inclusive? (coughs) Excuse me. What will be the impact? You know, and if that impact is going to be detrimental and disproportionately impacts a particular group of people, then why are we doing it unless it serves our own purpose and then we become individualistic in our approach to campaigning for rights? So, 
Yeah, I, I like to challenge myself. And I also like to be challenged and learn different things. So if you guys, if you, you all said to me, you know what, I don't quite agree with that. I'll be like, well, let's have a conversation about it. You know, show me why, teach me why, where does it say this? What does that theory of change look like? Help me understand so that I too can be well informed. And then when I move on to speaking to our younger generation, it feels like I'm giving them factual and proper information as opposed to something which is blue sky thinking. I appreciate that. I wish a lot of leaders were as open to being challenged and, um, you know, as receptive to it as you are. Because honestly, I've been in spaces where back to the whole idea of intersectionality, where before I could even articulate the point that I'm having difficulty separating my different identities because they're so deeply intertwined into who I am and what I do. Um, he was just like, no, no, essentially he was just saying that we, because of what was happening with George Floyd, the moment is now we should focus on black lives and not try to um, intertwine with anything else because it's just going to water down and dilute and da, 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 da. That's why I was glad when Glenroy was able to say, you know, it's not zero sum. Um, yes, we could prioritize. Yes, we can strategize, but it's not zero sum. So I have deeply enjoyed this conversation, needless to say. Lionel, did you get what you did you get what you paid for? <laughs> I did. Um, I just want to, uh, one final thing. I want to ask your your thoughts on this. And you add acts and then I use it myself. Um, so it, it's something that Javian Nelson would have said, and it is something that um, I will be putting as a part of the competition that we all. Wait one minute. Okay. Yeah. Just uh, just your your quick. Um, thought he said um you'll miss the revolution if you insist on looking for stonewall and i basically interpreted it that us as especially here in jamaica we cannot we cannot look at liberation um for lgbt um jamaicans as one way so um hold hold the the, the, the american standard so we have gay, this gay marriage and all those kind of things but how can we really and truly reimagine um and look at the little things that we've been able to achieve um for ourselves here in um the caribbean and not looking for things that happened during stonewall as gay liberation Sorry, I was just trying to unmute myself. Wow. Now, could you have asked a bigger question? Near the end at that. <laughs> and and Javian's absolutely right. You know, we do, we look for, um, and even black and POC people in the UK, we always follow this American narrative. And whilst equal marriage, uh, civil partnerships, all of those things, yes, are important. We've still got some work to do. We've still got women being trafficked, trafficked into particular countries. We've still got young people who are facing homelessness. We've still got people in countries who cannot eat. And the way that COVID has impacted them, it's even worse. We have still got these laws I keep on going back to and referring to because we're criminalized under some sodomy act. We have still got, oh my gosh, so much happening to us as black people that trying to claim this narrative of 
equal marriage is important and you know you haven't got rid of the laws yet but we think we need to legalize equal marriage in your country let's take a step back and the real thing is we want to really imagine uh, um i would say i want to imagine a, a world where i can send black children out on the streets and they're not murdered i want to reimagine a world where i can speak to the next generation and have them understand that you are not going to have to struggle as hard as i did because this land has been cultivated and fertilized for you to step in your truth and access what you need to access i want to reimagine a world where on the 20th of november when it is the remembrance day of trans uh, our trans siblings that we are not calling out reams and reams and reams of names that actually there has been no murders or deaths of our black trans people i want to reimagine a world where the commonwealth feels like a safe place for lgbt plus people because we've eradicated and erased all of those laws that make it difficult for us to navigate the world so yes if you want to come in from the global south and tell us about you know about equal marriage i'm going to say let's reimagine certain spaces and let's make sure that people have the resources to do what they need to do and that when we talk about privilege let's elevate if i've got privilege let's elevate those who don't have so that we're all at the same points yeah so equal marriage it's not important to me because there's too many other things happening and i want to reimagine hope there's a saying that when translated into english because you know that i'm from ghana um you do not inherit this land from your parents you borrow it from the next generation so we have got a duty of care to make sure that we're doing our best to ensure that there's hope for our future and the future is not just about equal marriage as much as it may be important for some and that is very beautiful um because i feel like especially from somebody who sits in a position that you sit in as an or with um, at an organization working in the global heart supporting those of us in the global south it i was really happy to to see you take on this mantle because you i know for a fact that you understand that the change will have to be on our own terms based on our own context um in full view of our own histories and realities and i think often times and maybe maybe that those and 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 more of those conversations needs to happen with donors and allies you know lgbt allies to us in the caribbean and in the global south more like how do you support me even if how i what i tell you that i'm about to do it doesn't immediately make sense to you because you don't understand my context so you wouldn't see why i need to do it because i was i remember saying this to somebody um that maybe i don't need to go to a dance hall party with a leader and that looks weird in a budget line to you but that's the connectivity that i will have to build a relationship with a leader who will then support me later on so it's 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 it is 
it's about stepping outside of yourself and, and making and shutting up. Like I think it's it's learning the value of shutting up. And I think you said this before, listening and understanding that it's not about you and your guilt and what you've decided is important. So, um, but you know, that, uh, uh, that's a whole cool with you for longer because I, I really, really think that this discussion is needed and also for us to maybe go into a deeper dive. So I'm going to commit, whether you want me back on or not, I'm going to commit to a part two so we can, we can watch this back again and think about what are some of the things that we really want to be asking ourselves and what don't we have the answers to? And then how are we going to get those answers? Is it that research piece which might recall a call for a survey, but it's a survey with uh, which will be qualitative and quantitative and real right. and to our direct needs. But, you know, I just want to end on not just thanking you for allowing me into this space, but really... I, I love learning from people's questions. You know, there are journalists that I turn around and I don't answer their questions because their questions are lazy questions. I think that the, just by virtue of speaking with black queer people, yeah, means that you're going to ask me things that will make me think. You're going to ask me things that we can all either grow from in its answer or we're going to be able to interrogate it and dig deeper and unpack it a little bit more. And I absolutely love that. But I will always be a global North person with an understanding of the lived experiences of our global South comrades. And if there is ever anything I'm doing wrong or incorrect or differently, I want to be held to account and I do want to be challenged because I still have a mentality, no matter how difficult it is to take away that I was born in the UK. So I will come with a particular mindset, even though I want to break that down. But you're right. We have to listen. So my allyship to you is very situational, but it's about listening it's about supporting. It's about putting the, my money where my mouth is and making sure you have the resources to deal with capacity, to deal with movement building, to deal with strengthening. And it's about just standing shoulder to shoulder, side by side. And I guess if we can do that for each other, we can reimagine the type of future that we want our children's, 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 nephews, nieces, whatever to live in. But Thank you so much for this time. I really appreciate you all. Thank you for being with us. Thank you so much for being. I know you're very busy. You know, you're very hard to pin down. <laughs> so um, thank you. Thank you so much, Lady Finn, for showing up and just adding to the fish tea. You know, you know, you didn't just sip the fish tea, you added. I'm sure the children were nourished. Um, uh, and I could do with some fish tea right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I hope um, that this conversation was just as beneficial to all the listeners out there, um, and that you're having a lovely. Well, by the time you hear this Valentine's Day, I go on. So, I hope you have a lovely Valentine's and Single Awareness Day. Um, um, if I tell the people in Man, the people in Man, come to Valentine's tomorrow. Big up yourself, right? Not wrong with that either. You know, share and share alike. Um, so, 
as usual, if you have feedback for us, you can reach out to us on our socials. That's at Fishy Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and on Instagram. And you can also send us an email, fishtpodcast at gmail.com. And as I generally say, with all things, stay sophisticated. Bye. 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 Bye.